Hey everyone, big news. Up Next in Commerce is now available for sponsorship. If you love this show and you, or maybe your company, or someone in your network that you know may want to reach an audience of supremely smart e-commerce leaders, then reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and I'll give you all the juicy details around what our strategic partnerships look like. Email me at stephanie at mission.org and let's chat. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce, the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond, with conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between. You'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of Mission.org, and I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning a business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Up Next in Commerce. I'm so excited today to be talking to the father-son duo, Ken and Gavin Wegner. Ken is the president of the Gel Cert Company and 21 Holdings, and Gavin is the senior brand manager of Slick Spirited Ice at 21 Holdings. Together, you guys are making food and beverages a lot more interesting. So welcome to the show. Thank you, Stephanie. So I want to start first with Ken. I want to hear a bit about your background because I know we were talking about this before the show, but having a family-owned business on the show that was started in 1926 is very impressive. And I want to hear you know, how you got into this. Um, and then we'll go to you, Gavin, next. Sure. Yeah. So my grandparents started the company, Gavin's great-grandparents in the 1920s, incorporated in 1926. I got into the business uh, really from the, from the beginning. I mean, I would spend a lot of time visiting my father at our factory. And I actually started working for summer vacations, uh, spring breaks, and so on during high school and then into college. When I was 14 years old, I started working at the factory. And it was an amazing experience. And I, I will tell you that at that time, I was making two and a half dollars an hour, which was the minimum wage at that time. So that would have been 1977. What were you doing in the factory? I will tell you that the first day that I, I spent, um, I was working in the office and I worked in our, what was called IBM department. It was our computer department. And I was separating forms into different colored piles. And I spent one day there because everybody in that department uh, smoked. Everybody smoked in that department. Those were the days when you could smoke in an office and everybody smoked in the building. And I spent one day in that office. I came home with my dad. I drove home with him. He smelled the cigarette smoke on me and said, you're never working in that 
that part of the business again. Oh, go dad. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up then going into the uh, research and development lab and quality assurance lab. And that was a great place for me to work on new product development and, and on the quality side of our business. And it was really a great way to, to learn the business from the inside, kind of the inside up. Before we move on to Gavin, a bit about you, I want to hear, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, which I did not know what the gel cert company was, but then I looked at all your brands and I'm like, oh, I know all of these brands. Can you tell people like, what is this company and what are some of the brands that people would know? Yeah. So uh, the Gelser company is a, a food and beverage manufacturing company. Really the, the biggest, largest part of our business is beverage. In that case, it's water modification. Uh, we modify water with uh, primarily powder in a stick pack form. And that's a, a very important, large part of our business. We're one of the 100 largest beverage companies in the world. Uh, we're actually number 75, according to the most recent list that's been put out there. So some of the brands that you may know, uh, Weiler's Light uh, is in the Weiler's brand, which goes back into the 1950s, um, known for lemonades primarily, very important brands to us. Uh, Flavor Ice, the freezer pop side of our business is where we have the food side of our business is freezer pops and dessert mixes. So Flavor Ice, Otter Pops, Pop Ice, Weiler's Italian Ice, Cool Pops, very important brands for our business and huge brands within that category. And then dessert mix wise, we have our Royal Puddings and Gelatins as well as Mighty Fine. And then the alcohol side of our business with Slick and a brand that we just acquired less than three years ago is a brand called All Sport, which took us into a whole different category and brought us into industrial hydration and you know, work for people that work in the oil and gas industry and agriculture, landscaping and so on, uh, construction where hydration is critical throughout the day. That's awesome. Okay, so Gavin, I wanna hear a bit about your backstory. Like at what point were you like, I think I wanna go into the family business. I mean, what did that look like for you growing up watching your dad, you know, take over this company and yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was ingrained as at a young age, right? I enjoyed going to going to the factory, seeing the being involved with the fun things, right? Seeing the fun innovation. I mean, these are brands that bring a smile to your face now. Michael I was also fun being the house too, right? Where kids would come over and grab the flavor ice um pop right on a hot summer day or anything. So it was just a it was a fun company to grow up in. But you know, there were there were moments and times where I appreciated uh, my dad also bringing me along to business meetings too. I was intrigued by the business, and so as I grew a bit older, certainly in high school, going to uh, everything from Sydney, Australia, with him for um, you know meetings to Los Angeles frequently and everywhere in between. So I had that again, just immersion up front, and it was my learning experience, not just no longer kind of the, this is the fun place, but these are this is actual ongoings behind the operations. So I had the pleasure in college then to be able to intern there a couple summers, um, whether that be in marketing or in finance. But I will tell you that leaving college, that my intent was not to immediately join the family business. Ultimately, my goal was to go and get my MBA and to explore for a period of time, even though I knew I was interested in the business, um, you know, what other opportunities lay outside of it. In fact, I was actually pursuing at one point a sports marketing career. Fortunately, I dealt with an injury right after uh, college. I tore my ankle to, to dreads, for lack of a better term. And kind of when you have that opportunity, right, it comes time sometimes to make them pivot. And 
I was still on the path to getting my MBA, but at the same time, or rather to studying for the test and ultimately do to move forward business school and push off anything in its career-wise at the moment. And in the meantime, I decided to work part-time at the company, continue to get to know it. And I entered in in the accounting department doing things such as, you know, on a day-to-day basis, processing expense reports. And so I, I ultimately, you know, had that opportunity for the first few months uh, of, of fall after I graduated. And then um, someone within the marketing department approached me about another job that I was very interested in that was kind of right time, right place, because at that time I was already interviewing elsewhere. I decided kind of all over the place up front that I was going to most likely go get my business degree, but do it part-time manner and, and work uh, full-time elsewhere. But this opportunity within the company was was great. And I really enjoyed my time marketing. And again, that was my focus in college was in marketing. So um, with all that being said, that opportunity as an associate brand manager uh, opened up and I seized it and was fortunate to have that. And next thing you know, the last Six years have passed in various roles within the marketing department, now leading to a brand manager role with Flick Spirit Advice. And, uh, you know, I haven't looked back since starting in finance, social accounting, um, going to marketing, going then to our licensing division, and then now into 21 Holdings, uh, serving as the brand manager Flick in this new venture, a baby venture, as Ken uh, labeled it as. Yeah, love it. That's awesome. You had your own little mini rotation program. How cool. Yeah, to an extent. Yeah, exactly. I mean, for a company like this, starting in 1926, I mean, it started, you know, a few years before the Great Depression. Like, I want to hear, Ken, how are you looking at the world today? I mean, what do you see now? And are there any lessons that you can take from how this company started, you know, in a pretty harsh time period? Yeah, that's a great question. And yeah, there is definitely linkage there. Our company, when it started, from day one, it was always critical for my grandparents and then transferring that to my father and then now to me as third generation and certainly to the fourth generation. Everything in our business is about quality and value. When I say value, value to the consumer, you know, making sure that they're getting the best value with the top quality products that we offer. And that was the same thing back in the 1920s with my grandparents. And they They really focused on that. And when the depression hit, they were making these high quality products that could basically be served to an entire family for pennies per serving. And throughout all the decades since then, nearly 100 years, we've ridden through recessions and downturns in the economy and inflationary issues, stagflation and and so on. And certainly now is no different with you know, what we feel is a a recession that's happening and that has been happening and certainly affecting, you know, the two thirds of the population that is really more on a a fixed income and working paycheck to paycheck and really needing to put food on the family and all the inflationary issues they've been dealing with. We certainly like to continue to provide them with not only the best quality, but certainly a a very good uh, value for their family. I mean, where else can you buy a box of freezer pops? You you buy a hundred freezer pops and you're basically paying less than seven cents a treat. You know, you really can't get better value than than what we offer. And when you were growing up and knowing that maybe you'd be involved in this company, like were there any stories that were passed down to you that you think about today? That's like such an interesting thing to think about, like so many generations and people like having these stories. And then maybe you at this point being like, I don't know if these are real or not, because they've been passed down so many times and they're still good lessons. (laughs) I will tell you, there's a kind of a funny story about how 
we ended up in the factory that we're in today. So we've been in the facility, we're in West Chicago, which is a Western suburb, uh, far Western suburb of, of the city, literally due West of the, the heart of Chicago. That facility, we'd always been either in the city or close to the city, and we kept on out, outgrowing each facility. We had built a brand new factory in a town called Bellwood in 1963. Within uh, seven years, we had outgrown that facility. So we ended up looking for a new facility. We, we bought what was a pickle factory in West Chicago. It was part of Consolidated Foods. It was a, a brand called Monarch Pickles. And we bought this factory and along with it came the plant manager that was running the pickle factory. And we hired him. He came with it? (laughs) Pretty much. And it was the best acquisition, best part of the acquisition because uh, his name was Tom Marziani. And Tom, we brought in as our plant manager. My father hired him. And Tom's first job when we acquired this facility, uh, the company left everything behind. They left all their equipment behind. They left the big vats that they cured the pickles in and the brine vats and the ground. They left everything behind. Tom's first job was to auction off all of that equipment. He auctioned everything off and it ended up paying for the entire purchase of the property and facility where we are today. We have a beautiful 16-acre campus that we treat like a a park and we now have a a 500,000 square foot, primarily manufacturing, some corporate office, and some uh, small warehouse function. That is our only manufacturing facility, and it's our primary facility. We have two other distribution centers within about six miles that um, are each over 300,000 square feet. So we have over a million square feet of manufacturing and distribution in suburban Chicago. Wow. I mean... VIP Tom right there. I needed him. We we one time bought a grocery store in San Francisco. Not many people know this. We were going to have a podcasting like whole unit there. And then we realized after we bought it, we we're like, oh, this wasn't a good call. So we ended up auctioning off all the refrigerators and the stools and like anything we could sell. We were just trying to sell it to try and make up for this cost. But we did not have a Tom. And that's the problem. We just needed to call, needed a Tom. call Tom for help. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. So I mean, when thinking about the environment today, to me, you guys are still innovating. I mean, I'm looking at what y'all been doing. You have, you know, you're creating your own products. You're licensing with some of the biggest brands. You're doing large acquisitions. You're getting into the alcohol space with, you know, Gavin helping lead the charge. I mean, how do you think about everything that you're doing? Like, how are you managing this? And how do you know what you even want to get into? Because you guys seem like you're everywhere right now. You know, we are looking at responsible growth within our business. Sometimes companies end up shotgunning it too much and, and, and going in too many different directions. I mean, throughout COVID, we continued to innovate. A lot of companies kind of turtle shelled it. They kind of went inside their shell to protect themselves. We kept on exploring. We kept on looking at innovation. And I mentioned this uh, earlier when we were chatting is that we ended up literally dropping a distilled spirits distillery into the middle of our half million square foot food and beverage factory in the middle of COVID. And I always say this, but nobody in their right mind would do that. Yeah. Tell me what's the thought behind this? Like who's, was it Gavin's idea? Should we just blame him for like, what happened and why? Yeah, we're going to blame Gavin for that. Gavin. (laughs) (laughs) But it was, uh, you know, we had been looking at the category. We had been kind of dabbling in it, exploring it from 
kind of from the outside, uh, watching the category develop with alcohol-infused freezer pops. And we then made the decision, literally uh, right before COVID came, to get into it ourselves. But it's a big process, getting into alcohol. There's so much involved with bonding the company and getting licensed, and licensed not only you know, federally, but state by state, even in some cases, county by county within certain states, then you have to set up your whole distribution network and align yourself with, in our case, we are fortunate to align ourselves with RNDC, one of the largest alcohol distributors in the nation, but they don't cover every state as well. So then independently, we had to go into certain states and find a a distributor. It was really a, a crazy process, but the most difficult part of it was trying to get everything installed and to get all the insurance inspections that we needed because we were bringing distilled spirits into our facility into a fire protected area with a very significant fire suppression system in it. All of that had to be engineered, installed and inspected before we could ever operate. And that was in the middle of COVID and people were just not sending their employees into facilities. Even the federal government, FDA, stopped doing just their normal regulatory tours uh, facilities. So, you know, everybody just stopped having people go into other people's factories. So it was a very scary time trying to get this launched. And and we had some retailer commitments right up front, and we needed to to get things done so we could make product to serve the market. Mm, that's cool. And so was this for Slick Spirited Ice? Is that what this distillery was for? Yes. Okay. So Gavin, since you are, you know, helping lead the charge there, tell me a bit more about Slick Spirited Ice, other than that it's alcohol and it's frozen. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, when we got into the space or rather when we made the roll and move, right, this was a collective decision made by Manny to enter and with within alcohol and freeze freezer pops. As Ken noted, uh, there were um, multiple players in the space uh, about starting six years ago or so that were, again, creating boozy popsicles, if you will, right? We were going to get into this category. You know, we thought that with all due respect to the competitors, there was, it was very right for a brand to be able to immediately kind of um, procure this, this exciting and growing consumer base of folks that were interested in this subset of ready to drink, which is in now labeled as RTF within the category. So we were very uh, laborious and thorough with regards to creation of what our own baby within the category would be. And through all that um, formulation, packaging development, branding, working with some of the top agencies that have done work with White Claws of the World, etc., we didn't cut any corners in creating ultimately what became Slick Spiritized, or in short, I guess, just you know the Slick brand. So um, what Slick is essentially is a, what we label it as, is a frozen cocktail brand. What we deliver, some of what flavor I delivers, right, with our fruit forward flavors, you know, like your berries and, um, and cherries of the world, uh, we deliver cocktails in a frozen format. So cocktails that you are, you know, maybe enjoy poolside and a vacation or maybe at a patio bar. Uh, we created quite a variety right off the bat because we wanted to ensure we could satisfy as many taste buds and we knew that there was interest. Certainly, as we launched uh, with a major distributor in RNDC in certain markets where different flavors may work better, we need to grow our, our base. And and with that, Slick will continue to grow overall um, with new innovation as we come. But in the first couple of years where we've gotten off the ground, we had a major retail distribution at Walmart. Um, in year one, we were a top 10 spirit-based prepared cocktail. So 
um, based on dollar growth. So incredible dollar growth right off the bat, putting us in the ranks of the high needs of the world, right? Uh, in the top 10 there, growing at a major, the number one retailer in the United States. We've now expanded distribution to be available online as well, um, to 25 states. So that just opens up another door, uh, for trial as well. So that's like in a nutshell, kind of where we've been and, and what the products are and, and where we are at the moment. And, uh, each day is different, but uh, it's, it's an awesome journey to be on. Hey there, are you enjoying the show so far? Well, imagine your company's advertising placed right in this very spot during a future interview with another elite e-commerce mind. Imagine your messaging and logo directly connected to the industry's most prominent innovators and thought leaders, distributed across every major podcast platform and social network. Yeah, well, it's time to stop imagining. Learn how you can partner with Upnext in Commerce and sponsor this very show. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org and let's have a conversation. My one question is like, how do you decide when you want to build your own product or license it? Because I mean, I was reading about how you all are able to go to market pretty quickly, especially if you're, you know, like working on a licensing deal versus maybe making your own. Like, how do you, for this, you know, there's so many good whiskey brands out there and vodka brands that everyone know. Like, how did you decide, okay, we're going to have our own distillery versus partnering with, you know, a company that has like a good brand recognition? Well, in this case, when you're dealing with other people's brands in the alcohol space in particular, um, it's a little more complicated because their distribution network may not align with your distribution network. And alcohol is very unique in how it's distributed. You have to, you know, it's a three-tier system and you have to distribute directly to a distributor or sell directly to a distributor who in turn then sells to the retail account. We can't do anything directly with, with retail, which is so different than anything we were ever used to. We've always sold directly to retail until we got into the, into the alcohol space. So to work with another company's brand is it, the alignment for distri our distributors would have had to have been identical. And that's why we really looked at this and we did explore some, some licensing opportunities kind of way up front in this business uh, development. And we decided the, the simplest path was in our kind of our best foot forward was to, to create our own brand and our brand identity. We, we love, we love the name slick. We love the, the, the graphics of the product and nobody can make a, a product, a freezer pop taste as good as the gel cert company, 21 holdings subsidiary can nobody can. And our R and D lab is, I put them up against any R and D lab in the world for the development of products within the categories where we play. You know, we saw a major white space, as I mentioned, with regards to this category, we, we saw the need or not need, but a niche to be filled certainly for a premium offering that was cocktail pool. So we figured again, versus kind of go down the path of us trying to go through a super complex process of licensing or it just made all the sense for us to build our own brand, right? To move ahead in a space that there was such excitement for and really define a pillar of growth for this business. Because at the end of the day, candidly, right? Having this, our own brand, that DNA of Gelsert and what the company's been built on for many years, right? There's our own brands, albeit the licensing brands have certainly, you know, the licensed products we have have certainly continued to help us grow. Um, but the, the company will forever always be as good as its brand. And so to be able to do that with an emerging category like this, um, just made all all the sense in the world. Yeah. How do you all spot a white space? I mean, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times, like you saw the opportunity, you knew, you know, what you guys were going to build. Like if I'm thinking right now, okay, I'm a business owner and I'm looking for that white space in my market. Like how did you guys go about 
seeing this and deciding like, yeah, this is one we want to jump into. That's important. We study our categories more than anybody would study these categories. I mean, we really watch trends up until COVID. I would even myself travel internationally to food and beverage shows just to kind of see what else is happening in in other parts of the world. What are the hot items? What are the hot flavors? Our team, whether it's our officer team or our entire management team, is very perceptive to watching and to seeing what's going on in the marketplace. And we just do a ton of research. We really do. We just, meaning like we we read a lot, stay on top of things. That kind of lets us see trends that at, at times we kind of laugh at ourselves, I guess, because there are times when we launch products that we think are going to be the greatest thing to put into the marketplace. We put it out there and the product just kind of struggles or flounders. And then, you know, Five years, eight years, ten years later, it's a whole new category, and the and and everybody else that's in it is it's booming. So we've had a tendency to to sometimes put things out there even too soon because of the ability that we have to to see where things might be going. Um, but we may not be able to market it because of our who we are and the size of our company. We certainly can't market it as heavily as a you know as a publicly traded CPG could. And I think. That lesson, the lesson that you noted, right, is what, with regards to alcohol, right, we, we took a different approach versus kind of launching something for many years. And, and Ken, I'm sure you can allude to people come to you and when are you ever going to put alcohol into this, in this format, right? And, and it just wasn't the right time or right place because at the end of the day, the alcohol category for so many years, right, was always defined as your classic beer, your wine bottle, your 750 mil wine and your, your workers. I mean, it was just a very black and white space. And it wasn't really until hard seltzers came about, you know, in this category, the outbath category was flipped on its head six years ago, you know, with the introduction of white flan truly that um, all these other new formats of you can now you right, get ready to drink espresso martinis and ready to eat gelatin shops and now again ready to freeze alcoholic pops. We'd always seen the white space. So it was just that we were not kind of willing to be the first to market here because of everything that it took. But we knew that once we made the move and, you know, if the opportunity, the right time, right place presented itself, which it finally did, that we had all the best, you know, we were set up the best to be able to succeed here, given all of our infrastructure, the team members involved, um, and uh, the quality of the products that we could deliver, unlike any other competitor that we knew about. Yeah, I'm sure. But the last thing I want to touch on is hearing a bit about, you know, the move to online, you know, just still thinking about where this company started to, you know, only being in retailers and then being like, oh, there's this thing, like we should probably maybe start selling online. Like, what does that look like over maybe the past five years to all the way to now Slick being sold? I know you guys have a whole new e-commerce experience. You can ship it to, I think, 25 states. So maybe, Ken, if you tell me a bit about like what that shift has looked like, and then we can go into Slick selling online. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, certainly the dynamics have have changed as far as there's a couple things, Stephanie, that you have to look at. One is just the whole e-commerce platform as far as the amount of sales that can be generated through it. And and certainly that has been tremendous. And to be honest with you, surprising. I don't know how else to say it. I mean, it certainly has surprised me is the sheer volume that can flow through an e-commerce site like an Amazon or a walmart.com and it's become a much bigger emphasis for us as a business to to focus on that, to market our products there, 
and to to really continue to grow in those platforms is going to be a priority for for us moving forward. We have an e-commerce department that has done a great job. Um, in fact, my niece Caroline is working in that side of the business and doing a great job. And the, the other thing, though, that's that's come through very loud and clear with e-commerce has been the ability to either literally launch a brand or develop a brand online without ever going into retail. And so many brands right now are launching online and developing a following, getting good ratings, maybe even having influencer partners or celebrity partners that align with them. And they're building an online presence with a lot of followers that in turn then can be presented to retail brick and mortar and shown as a success story for then those products to end up on shelf. That's why there are a lot of products that you're seeing in in the marketplace, even in places like Walmart, that you may have never even heard of before, but they're ending up on the shelf because they've had a very significant online presence to them. And that successful launching, not all of them launch successfully, but those products that end up in brick and mortar, it's amazing how they've kind of gone down a quick pathway of becoming relevant in a certain audience's life. And the retailers want to put those products out there. Yeah, there's always a, a debate on like how to start, like depending on the guests I talked to. I mean, there was one where they said, you know, all these direct to consumer brands, they're getting all this love. But if you were to look at, you know, one SKU in Walmart, they're doing way more in sales than this company's ever done in its whole history. But you've never heard of this one SKU in Walmart. And so it always makes me think like, you know, what we're paying attention to, maybe we should actually be looking at the individual products that maybe did not grow from this influencer Instagram world, the more quiet ones who are, you know, much higher revenue. And I don't know. I mean, it's a debate. Who knows? Because I know some companies, of course, like I just had Liquid Death on. And yeah, that brand's done great. They blew up from marketing. So I'm like, okay, you know, interesting to think about. And certainly their market capitalization, at least what they're looking at from, you know, any kind of a future IPO perspective is pretty, is pretty sizable just based upon their initial success. They're being valued at multiples, multiples over just what their sales are today. And you're seeing that with other with other products. And, and actually, in our business, we're seeing it with, for example, Weiler's Light, which has been in brick and mortar, and it's a top-selling brand in dollar stores and a very top-selling brand in the drug channel. But online, on Amazon in particular, Weiler's Light is a top-selling powdered soft drink mix on Amazon and continues to grow. And we continue to put a lot behind it from a marketing perspective. So that brand was a brand that was in brick and mortar, but now it's kind of gotten a whole new life and and a, and a real true big reason for being through e-commerce. Yeah. Certain products are much more suitable to the DTC world. And, and certainly everything we do with powder, which is our biggest part of our business, you know, which you talked about before, is more sustainable friendly, certainly, because at the end of the day, it's lighter and versus anything liquid or bulky. Yeah. I mean, to me, your guys' company shows like what happens when you stick to standards and just becoming better and better and better, where it's like you're so far ahead that, of course, you know, there's a reason why brands are coming to you to figure out how to become, you know, a mixed drink powder format or how to do something frozen. And it can be easy to get distracted these days, but you can see when a company like sticks to its roots of like, we know we're good at this and we're going to keep innovating around the things that we're good at and best in the market. 
we want to be the best of what we do. And I feel that we are, and we're going to continue to go down that pathway. And if we add a little plug-in item here or there, like all sport being plugged into our powder business, taking us into a different industrial channel, those are, those are great things for our business. Alcohol being added to our freezer pop capabilities. It's great stuff. It's, these are really positive things for, for our business and they're within our wheelhouse. Love it. Well, Ken, Gavin, thank you both so much for coming on the show. This was fun to have this father-son duo. I don't think I've had that before, so you guys are a first. So thanks for being great guests. Um, until next time, Ken, where can people find out about anything you want to point people to? Which companies do you want to point them to? Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> we have a brand new website launching literally tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow. Okay. Go check it out then. Yeah, I want to see this. Jelsert.com. J-E-L-S-E-R-T.com. We're very excited about it. And um, we, we are expanding our presence with our brands. And it's a whole new world for us. So we're really excited. And Slick is, for all those spellings, S-L-I-Q. And then you can find us at slickspiritedice.com. Also launching, just launching a new website. A lot of new websites for the umbrella of Gelster this year. There you go. Awesome. Thank you both. Thank you, Stephanie. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.